Christ, we are glad that you are here with us today. Um, I want to share a few things with you through our series of Exodus, and then going to spend some time talking about some just some family things. Um, we've been kind of back and forth, somewhat cryptically at times, about uh, kind of some next steps for our church, and so we've, we've got we've got some answers, and then we've got some questions, and then we're going to decide some things together. Not today, but today I'm going to share that. I'm going to share everything with you, and then um, over the next couple of weeks, you'll have an opportunity to do some surveys. We'll we'll have some conversations, and you can ask some questions today as well. Primarily, it's going to be about around our facility is our primary concern, and um, so we'll we'll chat about that. But before we do that, I want to take us through a few more chapters of Exodus, and today we're going to be focusing on really more. Um, what does it mean to be called and to lead? Uh, we see some very interesting things in kind of this beginning moment in which Moses has now kind of accepted this call and he's going to go. And, um, and so we want to take a look at those. Um, we're going to be starting in Exodus chapter 4. Uh, just to give you some updates on a couple of things before we jump right in. We're going to start with Exodus 4.21, but before we... We do that. We did have a great Brews and Views um, this past week. Uh, I think each week we do that, it's uh, a learning experience. And so our topic was um, how much of Scripture is still relevant today. And we talked about uh, some. Of, we talked about some of the passages of Scripture talking about morality, and then just what are the intent of certain parts of Scripture, Old Testament versus New Testament, things like that. Um, we kind of came to the same agreement at the end that really our next one, probably we're going to have to pick a topic that's a little more divisive um, because we want to create, it's not that we we don't want to argue. I, let me be very clear. I've had a couple of people say, well, yeah, I don't know that I want to come argue. We don't want to argue. The point of this is not argument. The point of this is being able to critically craft a reason for why you believe what you believe and then be able to communicate that in a succinct way, while at the same time having the discipline to listen to someone else's view that may be different from yours. Um, and so the way that that works well is if you have divergent viewpoints, and we certainly have had some divergent viewpoints in Bruising and Views, but we've also had some times that, um, you know, we pretty much are on the same page. We can talk about a few little nuances and subtleties and things, but really we need to get to a place where we're looking at somebody thinking, you are wrong. Um, and that is how we're going to get to a, to a place to invite people from outside the church to come. We don't want to invite people from outside the church to come to an argument, um, but we do want them to be able to come, and we can talk to them in very succinct ways about things that are important to us. They can talk about things in a very succinct way that are important to them, and I think we're gonna, what we're going to see is we'll, we'll, we'll build some friendships, we'll build some relationships with the community. Um, I think we'll be challenged to think deeper because one of the problems within the church today is some of the same problems we have in just America today, which is someone said something and we thought that sounded really good and that's now how we feel, but we don't, we can't necessarily defend why we feel that way. It just something felt good or it seemed to really make sense. Or I really like the way they put that. But if we're going to hang our hat on certain ways of living, believing um, what we believe about God and living this life, we, we need to have more than simply somebody told you. And just like on a Sunday morning, when you leave here, uh, sometimes sometimes I'm, I can be pretty out of the box. Um, sometimes I'm very in stripes smack in the middle of the box. 
on those times that I may be out of the box for you, I, you need to go explore and question and not take anyone's word for granted, mine either. Um, so this is just a part of developing maturity and engaging in hard conversations. And as our world changes and as culture changes, like we have some, some important things coming down the road that the church can be a voice in, but not if we can't critically hear from others and be able to craft why we believe something is good or bad or important. If we cannot do that, we will be a silent voice as the world continues to spin around us. And I just don't think... The church has always historically been in the forefront of things that are happening in the world. Um, And this is one of the ways I think we kind of learn and train, but also create relationships with others and hopefully... Um, we we will probably take some different perspectives at times, and hopefully they will at times take different perspectives. So we'll let you know in the next Bruising Views. That's a lot to share there. Um, that's really, there's, beyond that event, that's really what I want for our church. I want you to be so grounded in Scripture that when you sit down with somebody and they go, that's crazy, uh, you have a firm belief of why you believe the things that you believe. And, and why we don't just take out a, a couple of verses and say, okay, Go live a good life, or if you'll do this, you'll not have any problems, or if you want to manage your money and be rich, then do these three biblical principles. I, there, there's a place for that kind of stuff. Um, but really, what God has called us to throughout Scripture, He has called us to be a serious people of His Word. And being a serious people of His Word is not just that we know it, but we know how to work with it. We, know, we are drawn in, and we let it ask hard questions of ourselves, and we ask hard questions of God's Word. And what we end up finding are some really beautiful things about life and humanity and what God is really trying to do in our lives. Um, so uh, this is really a kind of a bigger picture, a little different than what maybe some other churches in our area do. I, I, I get a little criticism from time to time. You just need to give a, a, a really succinct, short, life-giving message, which um, sounds really good. And I don't want to think that the messages that you get on Sunday mornings are like life-taking messages. So I hope that's not what's happening, but uh, but usually, you know, short, succinct, life-giving message is this code for um, a little bit of helpful advice, a little bit of scripture, and you just had a good time and we'll come back next week for more. But that is not what we're called to. We, we are called to know this, this, this word. We are called to be able to, to interact with it, to understand what are the nuances that would have happened from the perspective of it when it was written and from the readers when they were reading it. And, and how do we share that with other people in a way that they can understand as well? That's where I want every person that attends our church to be and be able to do that and anywhere in Scripture, which takes time. It's taken me a long time to feel like I can do that. And there are still times that we talk about stuff, and I'm like, I never have thought about that, or I don't even remember that was in there. So anyways, that's where we're headed with those things. Um, uh, I'm going to share some next steps with you in the family meeting. But we do have a hospitality meeting um, immediately after church today, if you would like to stay for that. Um, and that's reimagining hospitality at Journey altogether. Um, and there's, there are a lot of facets to that. That's going to be, we'll, we'll probably meet in the green room. And um, we've got some, some lunch and some drinks and some things for you if you'd like to stay for that. All right. I want to jump in. Where were we in the story? If you remember where we are so far in the story, we're in a place where we've had this uh, miraculous kind of planting of a Hebrew into the court of Pharaoh um, who's going to learn all of the things that someone would ever want to know about how to run a nation. And 
it's pretty spectacular because at this point, Pharaoh is trying to wipe out all Hebrew men um, by wiping out their male children so that they cannot continue to grow because Pharaoh is incredibly nervous. And what we read in Exodus chapter 1 is they're continuing to grow and I'm afraid they're going to rise up against me. And so we need to kind of put our thumb on them and hold them back. And so they increase their labor and um, they continue to multiply. They keep getting bigger and bigger. And then they try to start killing the kids in a couple of really evil schemes. Um, either while, when they give birth, a, a midwife will just kind of make something happen where, where the male children won't survive, um, which they choose not to do that. And they continue to grow and grow and grow, and Pharaoh gets more and more nervous. So then he says, we're just going to take all of the, the Hebrew you know, male children, and we're just going to throw them in the river. We're just going to kill them that way. And so they made it legal to do that. Um, so if you can imagine being a young parent at a time where you have a boy, um, it would be an incredibly stressful time. And so um, it says that his um, father and mother, he, Moses is born, and they just think he is beautiful and perfect and good. Um, and then so they kind of keep him for a period of time, and for about three months they keep him hidden. Um, but then when they can't do it anymore, they craft this scheme. They're going to put him in an ark. If you'll remember, we're, your scripture probably, your text probably says a basket of reeds, but the word there is the ark. It's the only the second place in the old. Te- it's only the second place in scripture that that word is used. So we're we're talking about another rescue of humanity coming through through Moses. Um, and then this incredible moment happens when Pharaoh's daughter is just out in the river and sees this baby in this basket or this ark and takes it into her family, looks around, is like, I, I can't nurse this baby. I can't care for this baby. Who can do that? And Moses' sister is there watching and says, hey, I know somebody who can do it, and then um, brings Jochebed in. And now Moses' mother is now raising Moses again, but under the guise that he will be adopted by Pharaoh's household. Moses begins to learn and to grow. He begins to recognize I'm different from everyone around me and I'm responsible for those that are suffering that are my people. And he steps in and he murders an Egyptian guard. He runs for his life. He's about 40 years old. Uh, he, he runs. He meets the woman that's going to become his wife. And for the next 40 years, he raises the family starts raising a family. He's married. He's working for his father-in-law, which is kind of how it worked. Whenever you were growing up in the ancient Near East, you worked for your father-in-law, and you know, or you worked for your father until um, until they passed on, and then everything would pass to the children. And eventually, God speaks to him and says, "I want you to come deliver my people." And I imagine Moses' thought was, "Well, I tried that, and it didn't work out well. Exactly, what do you want me to do now?" And he gives a number of excuses and reasons. I'm 80 years old. I can't talk well. Nobody's going to listen to me. You know, I, I'm just not your man. And he continues to tell him, you are. So he begins the journey. One of the excuses he gave was, I just I can't talk well. And God says, well, but, but your brother can. And he's coming to you right now. I want you to meet up with him. I want you to do the signs that I've given you. I want you to use him as your mouthpiece, and he's going to speak to the people, and they are going to follow you. What we're going to find in this next section of this story, and this is very counter to our our American ideals. And when I say American ideals, this is not a, a, a dig at the United States. This is a dig at our culture, 
our expectation of what life is supposed to be like. And our American ideals are that if you do everything right, everything will work out exactly the way you want. And then as we get older and we experience some life and we go through some hard things, we realize, gosh, I think I was doing everything right, but it is not going the way I wanted it to go. And in this culture, when things begin to go south, we begin to think, I've done something wrong. But in reality, if we are going to be a people of faith and we are going to be a people of character, sometimes the thing that is right to do will lead to some really bad things. That doesn't mean it was wrong. Moses is going to learn this lesson in a very hard way. So we're going to try to cover the next two chapters. We're not going to read all the two chapters because we don't need to do that. But uh, Moses goes, as we enter into the, to Exodus chapter 4, verse 21, Moses asked permission from his father-in-law, can I take my family and can I leave? Which just demonstrates um, you know, great maturity and, and recognition. This is a big deal. And I, I, am, I do need to submit to an authority in my life, which is my father-in-law. I, there was probably, following up from the conversation he just had with God, there was probably a piece of Moses hoping Jethro was going to say, no, you can't go. And then he would be like, well, God, I can't go. (laughs) But he says, yes, go, go in peace, go with my blessing. And so they load up and they head to Egypt. And this is where we enter into our story for today. Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see what you do before Pharaoh, see that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I have put in your power. If you'll remember, that was the put the hand in his coat and pulls it out and he's got leprosy, puts it back in, pulls it out and is healed. And his staff he throws down, and it turns into a snake. And he's like, hey, go do these things. Um, They're pretty incredible. They'll believe in you. He says, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought him, sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let me alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now this is one of the most bizarre moments in this whole story. Like what is happening here? God has gone through all of this effort. You know, Moses has already been trained and he's ready to lead these people. He now has a heart for what God wants to do. He has a heart for these people that are his people, the people that God had made a covenant with, with Abraham. And so they're heading out and it says God attacked Moses and he was going to take his life. And so his wife, who is not a Hebrew, swoops in and performs a circumcision on their son, which means their son has not been circumcised, and then does something with the remnant that she's cut off, which is just, it's very easy to read this type of story and go, okay, next chapter. (laughs) You know, you just kind of read it, and you're like, I don't want to think about this, I don't want this image in my head, I don't know what this means. And why in the world, if God's gone to all this trouble with the burning bush and everything, why in the world is he going after Moses now that Moses is finally doing the thing God told him to do. If you remember, this section is about leadership. And I don't know all of the story. And anyone who says, we know exactly what's happening. Any biblical scholar that says, we know exactly what's 
happening in the story is lying. Because we don't know exactly what... We don't know why this is all happening. Some of the language that's been translated in our English translations is translated for our benefit in a way that that leads us to think it's something specific is happening, but some of that language has been added to make it easier for us to read it because they don't know either what in the world's going on. And so if you ask three different scholars, they're going to give you three different answers. But what, what we can gather from this are a few things. One is Moses is somehow incapacitated in some way and unable to circumcise his son, which he should have already done long before now. Like this was part of the covenant. And Moses should already have done this, and for some reason he has chosen not to do this. And on his way, as he leaves, something happens to Moses that he appears to be near death and is unable now to complete this task. And so his wife swoops in. Now, his wife is a Midianite, and the Midianites also have a ritual of circumcision. But theirs is different from the Hebrew rite of circumcision. The Midianites, whenever, and this is, I'm thankful that we're not Midianites, by the way. The Midianites, when you get ready to get married, that is when you are circumcised. (laughs) And so you kind of grow up and you live your life and you find the person that you're going to marry. And then before you get married, part of the covenant in that marriage relationship is that you get circumcised and then you go away and you have a cooling off period uh, or a healing period in which you're going to now kind of recover from this thing. And so some of the questions that we may come up with is, is Moses practicing the rights of the Midians? Or is Moses just not truly committed to the way of this covenant that God made with Abram or Abraham? Well, we don't really know what the answer is. The text doesn't give us any information on what what that is. But regardless, one of the... One of the key things that I have learned over my life about leading, you, you can lead and want nothing to do with Jesus. You can be a fantastic leader in the world and have nothing in your heart that has any interest in how would Jesus want me to lead. And, and, and we have uh, amazing examples of people that can grow amazing things and get mass groups of people to do stuff. They can lead and get a large group of people to go do something. And they can do that without any interest in any of the things we learn in Scripture. But if you are going to lead in a way in which you are not only going to invoke God, but you feel that God has called you to a place of leadership, when God calls you, He wants all of you. When we're called into a place of leadership, God wants all of us. He doesn't just want our willingness to take the job. He doesn't just want our willingness to put in some time. And He certainly doesn't want just us wanting to enter into a position because now I can say I'm in a leadership position. All of those things happen in the world. All of those things happen in the church. And we have Moses who is going to begin the process that is eventually going to bring Jesus into the equation so that we experience all of the blessings of this covenant outside of the of the Jewish faith. Moses is bringing this in, seemed to be the greatest leader in the history of the Jews, and yet he still has not even circumcised his own son. There seems to be something holding him back from fully committing to the way of the God who is saying, I'm going to use you to rescue these people. Something that's holding him back. 
Some scholars suggest that her throwing the the removed skin on his foot may not have been his foot. Um, it could have been in disgust. It could have been, I'm kind of put up with you. Why am I having to do this? Um, one, one in particular I, w- I read said, um, what is likely happening here is she knows the customs of Abraham. He's talked about it. Moses knows the custom. Moses himself is, is likely circumcised, circumcised. His parents were very devout in following this custom. And when Pharaoh's daughter looks down and says, oh, this is a Hebrew child, it was likely not his clothes. It was likely the fact that he was circumcised that she knew that. So Moses himself was likely circumcised, but he was not passing it on to his children. There was something in him that was inconsistent with saying, I really believe in Yahweh. When we enter into leadership within any kind of spiritual religious context, especially in the context of following Christ, He expects all of us, every piece of us, He expects not only our words, but our thoughts. He expects not only our action, but He expects that the drives and the the things that are most important to us are going to consistently begin to line up more with His than ours were before. He wants all of us. And Moses had not yet given all of himself to this task. And in this moment, God seems to be approaching him saying, Ho, 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 so now I've got you on the right path. However, I need all of you before we go to the next step. Now, is that exactly what happens here? I think it's a very good possibility. Uh, I may one day stand before God and Him say, yeah, that that was not what was going on at all. But there's a whole lot of us that we're not exactly sure what that means. But we do know He wasn't following the custom of circumcision as He should have. And from this point forward, it was important that He followed and led in a way that they would be obedient to what God was doing among their midst. When God calls you, He wants all of you. Um, I wrote in my notes, you can't follow God into uncharted places if you aren't willing to give Him your whole heart. And can I just say, that's not just for a leader, that's for a church. And as we talk about where we head from here, I think this is absolutely true as well. We cannot follow Him into uncharted territory unless he has all of our hearts. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, we read about some of the leaders that end up at the time of Jesus, but they don't have, God doesn't have all of their hearts. We call them Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You do some things and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. In other words, we can't pretend our way in the kingdom. We can pretend for each other and we can fool each other. We cannot pretend for God. One of the things when we are seeking something amazing within our lives, we are looking for Him to answer a question, open a door, solve a problem, heal a wound, is often have we given him our whole selves? Have we given him our whole selves? The story continues. Moses meets with Aaron. He shares everything that's happened, including the signs and what they're going to do. I supposedly, or you know, Aaron's the one who's doing the speaking. So Moses says, "Now this is what you need to say." 
I don't know how long this period of time lasts, but they meet, they talk. We jump down to verse 29. It says, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. You know, the most natural response to seeing God is worship. This is why I'm a firm believer that some of the ways we do evangelism don't work. And kind of in a culture where what we say or what we affirm we think is somehow enough, and one of the challenges we're facing in the world today is having a faith that is is authentic to the core. Uh, so I don't set the bar so high that none of us can reach it. One of the reasons we call this place Journey is because everyone is on a journey. And I have, I have not reached yet the bar of total faithfulness. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I honestly will reach the bar of total faithfulness in this life. Um, and so there are times when we want to call um, ourselves to a higher level of faithfulness uh, we can just be unrealistic in our call. It can become a, a, a call of shame. One of the guiding principles we had of journey was that everyone is on a journey and everyone is on a different place on that journey, but everyone should be moving toward in the same direction. Now, some are going to be right at the beginning of their journey. Some of, are going to be far along in their journey, and they're going to be able to help those who are starting out. And, and some are going to be somewhere in between. We're all in a different place on this journey. There, there is a place of growth, and even in leadership, I'm not, I don't, I don't know when I will get to a place where I feel like I'm a good leader, but I do feel like I'm a better leader than I was when I started out. Even in leadership, we grow. Moses is growing in his leadership in this moment. Moses has not reached the pinnacle. It's not like Moses is the shiny new penny and he's got it all figured out and he's just let him go, wind him up, send him in, and he's going to do it great. Moses is going to have to learn. In fact, there are some lessons Moses never learns, and it's one of the reasons he's, as we get to the end of the book, he's not going to actually enter into the promised land himself. There's a process of learning. As Christians, though, I think the journey is most authentically begun when you have an actual experience seeing God, seeing Jesus. Now, for me, I didn't see him as in a uh, you know Middle Eastern figure that appeared to me as a hologram somewhere. I didn't see that. I didn't have a dream where I saw him. But my need for a Savior was so significant at the moment that I gave my life to Christ that it was as if he was standing next to me. It was a moment that I still remember. And if you've had that kind of a moment where even to this day you remember that time that you said, that's it, that's this is my life from now on, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't had that moment, it doesn't mean you're not a believer, but it does mean you may not have come to the place of desperation within your life that you actually are willing to give everything to Him. Because the most natural response to seeing God is to worship. And that's what they did. Now, I'm, I'm sure Moses is like, wow, this is working. This is amazing. This is fantastic. Look, they're worshiping God, which is another really important cultural clue in this text for us to, to figure out today. 
is that the leader shows up, the leader does the sign, the leader does the speaking, but the worship goes where? To the leader? Where does the worship go? All right. Wake up. Wake up. Where does the worship go? <laughs> All right. We're going to have to get some uh, espresso shots in those coffees. Worship goes to God. How many times do we find someone that we think they just get it? Or we search YouTube and we find a teacher. Or we look at a celebrity and we think, look how they've got the world figured out. Wealthy and they've got everything they want and everybody wants their picture and wants their autograph. And yet they don't get any of it. How many times in this culture do we struggle with worshiping a person rather than worshiping the one who is our creator? In the church we struggle with this a lot, and this is not a new problem. They had this problem in the New Testament. In fact, Paul said, listen, we're, we're all in the same group. We're all pointing to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're one of my disciples or if you're one of Apollo's apostles or if you're or disciples, or if you're one of the other apostles' disciples, like, we're all in the same team. It's all one God, and all glory goes to Him, not to us. This has always been a problem with us, because we often see someone and we think they have it together, and so then we just want to be just like them. Have you ever just followed somebody and thought, I'm going to do everything the way they do it and see what happens? The most natural response to seeing God is that we worship God, not the messenger. But I do imagine for Moses, this is just an amazing moment. Like, it's working. There are times as a pastor, I will, will have a Sunday, or a, we'll have a meeting, or we'll do an event, and I'll be like, it's working. <laughs> you ever have those moments? I don't know. Maybe, uh, I, you know, if you garden, maybe you plant something and it actually grew. It's working. Or maybe, like me, when I, we first got married, like, we had no money, we had no nothing, and, uh, you know, we lived our apartment, like you could fit about six of our, our first apartments in this room, probably more than that, probably like eight of those apartments in this room. I mean, it was so tiny. We had no money. And I remember the first time I changed my oil by myself and I was, I started the car and it works. You ever have those moments? Or craftsmen and you, you put wood on a lathe or you begin to build a wall and you're going to add on to your house and you've got the book. And you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. And then it, you're like, it works. And you're just feeling really good about everything. And like, it's happening. And you're kind of patting yourself on the back. And, you know, everything is just going great. And then it's not. You ever have those moments? Because this is Moses' moment. It's great. They believe us. They're excited. They're worshiping. And then things go south. We jump down to Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, and they may, that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness. Interesting. The story is not initially, let them go to a promised land, let them leave Egypt. This is the first ask that they make of Pharaoh. Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? He's not a believer in Yahweh. 
and is not one of the gods of Egypt. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many. And you make them rest from their burdens? This is the last thing Pharaoh wants. I don't want to rest up the very people who are going to leave, take all our wealth, and they're going to maybe even subdue and subject us. Why in the world would I want them rested? I've been working so hard to make them worn out. Behold, the people of the land are now many. Verse 6, The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regards to lying words. So now, not only did they, can they not go to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but now they've got to work harder. They've got to create the same number of bricks and they're taking half of their resources away. Now they're going to have to go gather the straw themselves. We jump down to verse 20. This is we find out how they feel about this new turn in their lives. Moses and Aaron, They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. They came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? (laughs) Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. I don't know exactly going on in actually going on in Moses and Aaron's mind. I wonder if they were so excited about the initial success that they thought that was all it was going to take. And I also wonder if that is all that it had taken, how they would have felt about God through this process. We did it. Aaron, we did it. Is it possible that while the people were celebrating Moses and Aaron steal off to the side and high five each other and Hey, great job. I mean, you performed that miracle. It was fantastic. I mean, I thought you actually had leprosy. It was amazing. I don't know how that conversation went. But what if that had been it? And he'd be like, sure, go on. That was not how this was going to work out. There's so many times within our lives we think things are going well and we're doing the thing that we think God wants us to do and we're just expecting that it's going to work, and we're going to tell everybody it was God when it works, but then it doesn't work. And it not only does it not work, life gets worse. In your mind, would you follow a leader who made your life get worse? Probably not. And at this point, we have two people bailing. We have the, Israel, the Hebrews who are bailing on Moses. Look what you've done. You've made a stink to, to Pharaoh. He hates us. Now our lives are so much worse. And even Moses himself is bailing. Look, God, what are you doing? You've ruined us. 
But in those moments, God does what He does for you and me when we have these moments, and He says, I want you to trust Me because I'm at work. I want you to trust Me because I'm doing something new. I want you to trust Me because the very things I've said are going to happen are going to happen, but you need to trust Me. We're in for the long game. We're not in for the short game. We're in for the long one. Sometimes we'll talk about running a marathon and not a sprint. That is the race we're in. Sprints look good. They sound good. You get a lot of quick momentum and a lot of quick motion and you feel like everything's going great and everything's going to work and then all of a sudden everything falls apart and you're thinking, oh, we were wrong. We were all wrong. Maybe that was the wrong thing to do. God is saying, stay with it. Because sometimes the right next step feels all wrong. But it's exactly the right step to take. Now let me just say, it's incumbent upon us to make sure we know what the right step is. It's very easy to just take a step and then claim it was right. And maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. It's incumbent to be confident in God when the right step leads to, to hard places that we knew we were following God where He wanted. And I will, I will just tell you, there are so many times in life that it is hard to have 100% certainty about what is God saying that we're supposed to go do at this point. And there have been times that in my own life, I just have to say, God, I think to the best of my ability, this is what you want, so this is what I'm going to go do, and I'm just going to trust that you recognize I want to do what you want, and if it's not right, you're going to course correct me. I did that in the very beginning when I when I shifted from a degree in finance to moving towards ministry because I really didn't want to leave my life track. But I just felt something within me saying, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. One summer I, I started working at a camp and uh, it was a Christian camp and they asked me to do a Bible study and I got the story completely wrong. Like the count, the, the staff came up to me after and said, uh, you know, that's like theologically the exact opposite of what happened. Oh, I felt terrible. Like, oh, man. By the end of that summer, something had changed in me. But there were a few things I knew about ministry that I just wasn't sure that that was where I wanted to go. And one of the things that I knew about ministry outside of the finance uh, career I was looking for was that ministry doesn't pay well and finance pays a lot better. There's a whole lot more job security in finance. Well, probably actually not. But there's a whole lot more job security in finance than in ministry. Of course, today that's even more so true. But I remember thinking, God, I feel within me you want me to go do this thing. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know in what role it would be. But in order for me to do that, I feel that I'm going to have to diverge from this path I'm on. If you want me to diverge from this path that I'm on, I'm going to need some certainty. I prayed and I asked and I prayed and I asked and then I went to the people I trusted and I said, I don't know, what should I do? Of course, they're not going to tell you what you do. No one should say, well, I, the Lord told me you should go into ministry. Like You've got you to gotta make that decision, but that's you and God. They can say, I see this in you, but that's you and God that's ultimately going to make that decision. And so finally, I remember praying very vividly, God, I think this is what you want me to do. I'm going to take the step. If this is the wrong step to take, please course correct me right away. So many times that taking the 
right next step. At the moment, can feel all wrong, but it's exactly the right step to take, especially if it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to right away. But this is life. This is career. This is family. This is faith. There are times that the right step does not lead to a path of the thing that you want in an arc. Instead, it goes the opposite direction. And In those moments, the question is, do I really believe that God's got this? Do I really believe that God's doing something? Do I really believe that God's a part of this? Or is it just what I see with my eyes, and now I need to course correct because of what I see with my eyes? Sometimes the right step Right next step feels all wrong. You jump down to Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. This is his reminder. This is the same thing God does to us today when we enter into these moments. We're like, God, I'm just not sure. Like things aren't looking the way I thought they would look. They're not working out the thing the way I thought they were going to work out. They're not just turning out the way I thought they were going to turn out. And, and I just, I'm questioning you now. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. There are moments in your faith and in your life that you are going to have nothing to hold on to other than this. I am the Lord. Is that enough for us? I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which also established that they live as sojourners. Verse 5, there we go. Moreover, I had, the, I had heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians sold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke this to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of this land. I don't know what you feel like if you're Moses at this moment. I'm not feeling good. I'm I'm 80 years old. Listen, I had a pretty good deal back there. You know, I could stash me a little extra bag of wine over in the bush where I would shepherd the sheep over by Mount Horeb that would eventually become Mount Sinai. Like, I, my family's there. I got to watch the kids play. I mean, it was just a good life. I mean, everything was taken care of. We ate, we ate good. No one asked me to do these crazy things. And now I'm doing this thing, and the people hate me. I mean, they hate me. And, and God says He's going to do this stuff, but I'm just not sure anymore. God just keeps saying, I am the Lord. Okay, you're the Lord. So what? I am the Lord. Uh, okay, you're the Lord. One of the things I struggle with is my personality. I'm a fixer. Do we have any fixers in the room? Like you fix stuff? Like all we need is for you to clearly state the problem, and we will solve it. Any of you in the room? Your spouses hate you, don't they? Yeah. Uh, I'm one of those people. Tell me the problem. I'll, 
listen, I'll have this solved in no time whatsoever. Oftentimes when we follow God, that is not how it works. Trusting Him to do the things that only He can do. That is an exercise of faith. And it's hard for a leader to call on others to continue to exercise faith. Especially when you feel like the group you're supposed to be leading hates you. And yet this is what he says, God says to him. He says, I am the Lord. Now get up and go tell Pharaoh what I'm going to tell you to tell him. Because at the end of the day, God is not relying on Mark's ability to see a problem and fix it. God is simply wondering, are you going to let me work, and are you going to follow me, and are you going to obey me? That's it. When we are called to follow God, all we have to do is what He tells us, and then watch Him work. You're going to have to work out, if you make this kind of a life principle, you're going to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death far more than you go beside the still quiet waters. Because what I have found, and maybe yours is, maybe you're different from me, what I have found is my faith is built in the valley of the shadow of death. It is not beside still quiet waters. It is the times in which I'm like, God, I mean, like, we're out on a limb here. What is this? What's going to happen? Is anything going to happen here? And then God shows up. I wish I knew the ratio of the number of times God showed up in the way I expected and the way God showed up in the ways I didn't expect it because most of the time I wasn't expecting the way He showed up. But yet He showed up nonetheless. We are called to follow God. All we have to do is what He tells us and then watch Him work. I didn't really plan for our portion of Exodus to fall on the day that we're doing the family meeting, but some of the things that I'm telling you today are some of the things we need as a church community moving forward. If we're going to to lead, we have to lead with character and integrity. And at times when we lead, we've got to move forward trusting that God's going to be the one to do the thing and we've just got to follow Him. There are also times that we take steps and they're going to go beautifully and there's going to be times that we take steps and then all of a sudden we're going to have to go make the same number of bricks with half the resources. And now we're going to have to spend half our time just gathering resources to do the job. There are times when it's going to be so apparent God is doing something amazing and we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship just as they worshiped when they saw God worshiped. And there are going to be times when we're going to do that and we're going to worship and we're going to see God and we're going to just be like, yes! And then there's going to be times that we're going to be like, where did you go? It doesn't mean God stops working. It means we just need to hang on for the journey. See where He takes us. Wherever you are in this journey with us, in your own life, being a leader who follows God requires all of us. We can't just fill a position We can't just talk about talking points. We've got to give Him our everything. Everything about us, we have to give to Him. He has to have our whole hearts, our whole focus. If He says go, we have to go. And if He says stop, we have to stop. 
I don't know where all that's going to go. I don't know what all God is leading us to do because I don't feel that God has said, I'm going to give you Canaan. And to be quite honest, as a pastor, some of the things I need to talk to you about in our family meeting, I just, they interest, they do not interest me. Can I, this, I'm confessing to you, so if you want, if you decide, this guy's crazy, we are not going back to Journey next week. I totally get it. We start talking about facility. Do you know in the scale of things that I think are important in this life, facility does not broach the top probably 1,000. And yet, for us to gather as a people, as a group, as a community, it's got to be one of our top three or four things right now. So I'm going to invite you in on that process, and I'm going to invite you to trust that God is doing something among us, and I'm also not going to make a proposal and ask you to accept it. I'm going to ask you to pray about it and help us make a decision on what we do next. Before we jump into that, I just want to pray with you, for because some of you are like, I can't worry about the family meeting. I'm dealing with some of this stuff I'm reading in Exodus. I'm just going to tell you, if you are wondering where God is right now and you're in a place where your son's not circumcised, go circumcise your son, but not literally, not literally. (laughs) If God said, I want you to obey me in this thing and you're not obeying him in that thing, you need to go obey him in that thing because he cannot fully use you unless you're fully surrendered to him. It doesn't mean he won't use you at all because God recognizes, like (laughs) you all, you'll never make it on your own. That's why God's here with us. That's why Jesus came and now the Holy Spirit is within us because like, we're not going to make it on our own. When we look back in Genesis, I still we talk about this in our Baymont group as well. We, that, that covenant that God made with Abraham, when he took, he made the commitment and the promise and he said, I will hold myself accountable to make sure this covenant it happens. Like God is saying, I'm doing this. You're not going to have to be good enough for me to do this because I'm doing it regardless. God wants our whole heart. And maybe this may be a place in your life where I'm, you've just been questioning and you're uncertain and you're just wondering and you're, you're just been praying for God to give you direction. You just don't feel it's there. And I, don't, I, I, it, I do not believe that, that if you're praying for something and God is not yet answering, that that means that you somehow have this massive sin in your life. But that's a good place to start. (laughs) God, is there somewhere where I am just not fully giving you everything? Once you give Him everything, what's amazing is that sometimes He answers you exactly the way you wanted and sometimes He doesn't, but it doesn't matter anymore because part of giving Him everything is like the everything of life. Listen, everything looks better. Grass smells sweeter. Life is just good. It's one of the amazing mysteries in following Jesus is, man, life just gets good when we submit fully to Him. But He also may be waiting for you to do that before you're ready for the next step, just like Moses wasn't ready for his next step. We as a people need to be fully submitted to where God is leading us. Father.